0: Welcome to episode 96 of Goodwill Hunters from the Development Policy Center. I'm your host, Rachel Mason nunn Before we begin, an announcement. DevPol's 10th anniversary partnership with Goodwill Hunters comes to an end this week. We're so grateful for the crucial support provided by the Development Policy Center this year, which has enabled us to bring you weekly episodes. You can continue to read the Dev Policy blog via the link in our show notes. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Arietta Rica, who is the host of the upcoming podcast Vossa, produced by Goodwill Media and proudly supported by the World Bank. Vossa looks at the big ideas and challenges that are facing the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. Arietta also works with me at Goodwill Media, and I'm grateful to call her a friend. Arietta has over 10 years' experience in social impact and nonprofit communications across Australia and the Pacific. As a writer, cultural advisor, Pacific storyteller, and the founder of Talanoa, a digital space for Pacific people to share their stories. In this episode, Ari and I have a very candid conversation about diversity and inclusion in development communications. We discuss the Pacific style of storytelling and how it fosters community and stimulates social change. We also discuss whether the Pacific has a collective narrative. We've included relevant links to Talanoa and Vossa in the show notes, along with a link to the Dev Policy blog. Enjoy the episode. Ari, thank you so much for speaking with me today in our office here at Goodwill Media. It's exciting to finally have you on Goodwill Hunters. We're nearing 100 episodes now, so it feels like the right time, but it's also an exciting week for you because our newest podcast, Vossa, is about to air.
1: Can you tell us about your background? Vula Rage and Vula to everybody listening, I am so thrilled and excited to be on the Goodwill Hunters show. As you know, Rage, I'm a massive fan and I'm really honoured to be here in terms of my background and how I became to be a communications expert, I started off actually by accident. I was picked up for a communications assistant role in a nonprofit organization, and I really fell in love with comms then. I didn't realize the connection between communications and storytelling and how powerful it can be. And over the years, I started to explore my deep interest in storytelling and communications within the Pacific region, and I also saw a massive gap at the time, this is probably five years ago, where I couldn't see much digital storytelling taking place um, online more formally, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to start a blog, so what started off as a blog, which is uh, now known as Talanoa, evolved into a digital space for storytelling Across the region. And how I became interested in this is because I'm born in Australia and I live in Australia, but I've been fortunate enough to spend time growing up in both Fiji and Tonga. My father's Fijian and my mother is Tongan. And so I felt that I really wanted to see more in the digital space of storytellers from both of those countries and across the Pacific, but also from Diaspora as well. So it's not to say that people weren't telling their stories in the digital space, but it's just not in a way that I could connect easily with and also that I could um, see that was accessible for a broader audience. So that's how all this came to be.
0: So Ari, you touched on Talanoa there and I think that's what I want to speak about a bit more. So you are the founder of Talanoa, which is a digital space for Pacific people to share their stories. It's an interesting concept and I know that Talanoa has done really well since you launched it. How, how did it start and how has it evolved in recent
1: years? So yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. Uh, I'm really fortunate to have had all the experiences that I've had through Talanoa. So Talanoa is actually my name and I started what I intended to be a blog featuring successful people in my community here in Australia but also within the Pacific and also in other diasporic communities in other countries and it just really took off from there and it spoke to me about how important it is to have a single space that's easily accessible for our community. So this is our stories from Pacific people for a Pacific audience. But then it also evolved into a resource resource, sorry, for people who want to work with Pacific communities. And from there, I started to be um, approached by organisations and media outlets to work with them and provide cultural consultation and while I do see myself as a cultural communicator and advisor I more importantly see myself as a bridge between people because I can't always act as a cultural advisor for cultures that I'm not familiar with. The Pacific is such a diverse place even within a place like Fiji where I'm from there are so many different dialects, there are different cultures, subcultures, and so I'm not positioned to be able to speak on some of those that I'm not actually from. So I see myself acting as a bridge, and that's worked really well for me, and I've pretty much now at this point invested my whole career into it. So it's gone, Talano is bigger than just uh, a website or a digital resource now. It's my way of working and being and communicating with others.
0: I think we need to get into the subject that you just mentioned, which is that you acknowledging that you're not an expert on all cultures, and therefore you need to be a bridge between someone who is an expert on that culture and an external organization. You and I talk about this a lot, and it's a difficult, contentious subject, but I think we can get into it here. It's, it's a strange, outdated consultation process whereby one person just seems to be able to represent the interests of an entire culture and genders and ages, when in fact we know that that's definitely not the case. Can you talk about that and maybe some experiences you've had over the years where one person has been asked to speak on behalf of a much larger group than they were actually qualified to speak on behalf of?
1: Thank you, Rach. This is a really important topic and it's something that I've come to learn through my experience. And I see it as something that, while unfortunately it happens time and time again, it is something that is quite dangerous because it presents single one-dimensional stories um, from communities or countries in the Pacific. And, you know, it's just not best practice. I think that what can happen is that people who uh, in communities um, who are approached to tell stories, they're often the ones that speak English. They're often the ones who have maybe internet access or connections uh, within the community. So I don't think that it's a problem that we do speak to English-speaking storytellers, but I think that it can be a problem when they are the only ones who are constantly producing or sharing our stories. So I think it's important that we... Um, make sure that we speak to more than just one person. And this provides an opportunity to have more well-rounded stories and it also paints a truer picture. So a perfect example of this is uh, when I worked on a climate change project with the World Bank, a VR storytelling project called Our Home, Our People. And what was really great about this was that I had the opportunity to actually travel to remote communities and to speak to people on the front line. And it was great because I could actually uh, meet people and speak to them in our language in Fijian and find out from them, not in an interview style, but a talanoa, which is our way of discussing experiences and challenges and thoughts and ask them, What is actually happening? So they started to open up and share their experiences and uh, the film was then also captured in Fijian in our language and it just made for such a beautiful, um, more immersive experience and it allowed audiences to really get a true picture and see what climate change can be like through the eyes of, say, a child or a woman and these are people that we don't always hear from. And, you know... There were English stories that were told, um, but I came to realise that there were certain representatives within the community who were always approached and they always told their stories. And so, you know, we came to, I came to learn this personally and I've applied this across other projects as well. And, yeah, so language plays a pivotal role in this and I think that organisations can learn from this by, you know, Yes, it's important for representatives from organisations to reach out to communities, but I think that it's also important to have translators on hand if possible uh, and to try and be very intentional as much as possible to approach people who may not normally be approached to share their stories.
0: They were really fantastic examples. It's interesting to hear the contrast of the really inclusive and diverse communications process that you went through with with the World Bank on the Our Home, Our Stories project in contrast to other examples where, as you say, organisations just go back to the same person who they know speaks English and who they know has a good PR message that they can share. So it is two real different experiences of communications. And before we get back onto Talanoa, which I want to speak to you about a bit more, I would say that this is something that we're really passionate about here at Google Media, isn't it? That we are focused on building a network of communicators from the Pacific to really put communications in the aid sector back into the hands of the people that are actually living and breathing in the communities where projects are happening. External communications consultants from Australia and and other developed countries will always have a place, but it is really important that we're building the capacity of local communications experts in country too.
1: Yes, this is crucial. And when I spoke to communications experts in uh, country, specifically in Fiji, a lot of them said that they followed models that were taught to them by uh, international experts. Uh, And so, A lot of them shared with me that they didn't see our Indigenous way of storytelling as something that could be helpful or useful, or some of them said that they just did it informally and they didn't tell anyone that that was the practice that they followed. And so it was very interesting and insightful to to hear this, but also I found that I actually learned more from the communications experts in Fiji than they learned from me. I learned how to get really insightful stories, how to build trust, how to make, uh, create and build meaningful, long-lasting relationships. And this was very helpful for me. And I believe that anyone working with local communications experts really should focus on listening and learning and not just going in and teaching. As you said, Rachel, there's definitely value that we can um, in exchanging knowledge and information between local and international experts, but I think that too often uh, local experts feel that they need to listen as not so much as they also have things to share, or they may, uh, may they may, but there may not be a forum for this kind of conversation and exchange. It is it really should be best practice where uh, international and local experts share knowledge, share information, and importantly share. Indigenous practices and local ways of communicating and sharing stories. You said there that
0: international consultants teach a specific method of communications and sometimes local consultants or local communications experts reflecting on their experience in their own communities say that it's quite incongruent with the way that they've learnt to communicate. To build on that, what is so unique about the Pacific style of storytelling?
1: It all comes back to relationships. It We find that the richer your relationship with someone, the richer your story will be. And you can't expect to just go into a community, extract a story and go away and use it for your purposes and never go back. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of the uh, international communications consultants that I've worked with didn't have that intention. They didn't may not have even realised that they were... Um, they were following a more extractive process and not giving back. And so it's not to say that this is done with any malicious intent, but I think that you will find that in the Pacific, it all comes back to building meaningful relationships. And a lot of the time, this is just a Pacific way of being. You go into a new place, the last thing you want to do is go in with an ask straight up. You would slowly be building connections before you even get to the point of asking someone to sit down with you and share their story. Um, And so I think that it's a long-term game and it's not something that we can expect to just go into a community, extract a story and go and not have any say harmful impacts on the communities that we are extracting these stories from.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot in our days in the office together about the lessons that I've learned over the years in the Pacific about communications and there have been many, but I think one that I learned very quickly was that any meeting I had really in any Pacific Island country I've worked in had to start with a really personal conversation around the family and and friends and home and what you've been up to. And it wasn't in an insincere way. It wasn't, okay, let's tick the box of a personal conversation so that we can move on. It's always been so sincere. It's always been about genuinely building relationships and connections with people in order to have a productive working relationship with them. And it's in recent years that I've learned how beneficial those personal relationships have been to me in a work context because I feel that I've got this community of wonderful people across the Pacific and Papua New Guinea who I can call on, who I've built great relationships with, who are my friends. And it is quite different to our Australian and and, uh, other countries' style of doing business, but it is a really crucial thing to learn in the Pacific, the importance of human connection.
1: It's true. And uh, I think that my experience working in Australia is that I see that people have compartmentalized themselves. So they have a professional self and they have a personal self or they have a social self. They don't always bring their personal life into their workspace. And You know, whereas in the Pacific, there is no such thing. (laughs) When you come to work, this is just who you are and you wouldn't behave in any different way as you would in your social circles outside of work. And so I find that it's been so helpful for me working in an Australian environment following this practice where I really want to deeply understand people that I work with, whether it be someone that I bump into when I'm having um, a coffee every day or whether it's my colleagues in the office or other organisations that we partner with. I really want to get to know people and I think that this is quite common across the Pacific that it would seem very strange or abrupt or even rude to go into a meeting and just launch straight into the top, the topic of conversation. You would always want to, you know, get to know each other. How's your day going? How are you? Um, how's your family? And this is not unusual. And as you said, Rachel, it often results in more meaningful outcomes because when you're personally invested in someone, uh, it's more likely that you'll care even more about the work and therefore the outcomes tend to be a lot more meaningful as well.
0: The other lesson I would share before we move on from this was a really difficult and uncomfortable one to learn. But I am not someone that has dealt well with silences in the past. Long pauses are okay in communications in the in in many places in the Pacific and it's it's thoughtful and it, it doesn't mean that the conversation has gone off track or that people aren't interested. It's just a normal thing to do. And and that's something that you and I talk about a lot
1: as well, Larry. Yes, I mean, it is very interesting how people respond to silences in conversation in Australia, I have found. And this is a skill that my actually my father taught me that, you know, if you just sit back and listen, it's amazing the things that people will say, you know, and it's not about what they're saying, it's really about you listening. Um, and I think that in the Pacific, it's not unusual for conversations to go for quite long, not because people are talking so much, but because of the pauses in between conversations. So, you know, I think this is important because it means that people are taking time to process what the other person is saying before they respond. So they're not responding just for the sake of it. They're actually giving a thoughtful response based on what they think uh, according to the conversation. And so... I have found this to be very helpful for me personally because it means that I have a deeper understanding of what people are trying to say because I'm not rushing to try to fill silences. So I don't find silences as awkward as maybe my Australian counterparts might find it. And I think it's a cultural thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, You know, it just so happens that conversations are a lot more fast-paced here. And I think that it's it's a great lesson for all of us to learn and understand that it's okay. It's okay to have slower paced conversations. And in fact, it often results in more meaningful understanding and relationship between people. Yeah, that's beautiful. I totally agree.
0: So Talanoa has shared a lot of great stories since its inception. Is, it, is there a particular story that stands out to you as being
1: the favorite that, that you've shared on the platform? Oh, that's a hard story. They are I can honestly say they are no favorites. They have all been stories that I've been so proud to share. So in the beginning, when Talano first started, I had uh, 13 interns each year. And the internship program involved each of uh, these storytellers sharing stories from within their community. And you know those stories even though they were not um i would say well edited on my part they were very uh real very raw i'm still very proud of them because they were so authentic and that's something that i've seen uh being weaved through the stories as they became more i suppose polished so to speak with how we presented them as we learnt how to edit a more sophisticated way i would say that All the stories that are shared on Talanoa are authentic, whether they be written stories, through video, through imagery, and even through VR. They're all real uh, representations of people, and that's what I love about Talanoa is that it's an independent platform with no one influencing people in how they choose to tell their stories. It's it's exactly how they want it to be, and they retain ownership of those stories. So down the track, if they want to make changes, they're they're more than welcome to do so. But I can confidently say that not one person has come back and asked us to change their story. And I think it's because in the very beginning, they were less anxious because they knew that they had full editorial control. So there are absolutely no favourites. I love them all. And I'm really proud of the stories that have been told on Talanoa.
0: I'm proud of them too and as as someone not from the Pacific I've learned so much about the Pacific from reading Talanoa, and I think that whilst it was never for an Australian audience and it was and is a platform for people from the Pacific to share their stories I think there's a lot that we can learn here in Australia as well and I, I will we'll include a link to it in the show notes. The question I wanted to ask, as you say, when you hand over all editorial control to people and you are a completely independent platform, it does mean that you can share virtually any story that you want to, but are there any stories
1: that aren't told that you think should be told? Absolutely. There will always be stories that aren't told at the moment and need to be told. And I think that that's why accessibility is so important For people to share their stories on Talanoa, they first need to know that it exists. And so we use tools such as social media. And Facebook is a huge one um, in terms of how people within the Pacific are and also overseas, so Pacific people who live overseas, how they're communicating with one another and where they're finding content. So, it's really important to me that we use every tool at our disposal to ensure that people know that there is such a platform that they can share their stories. And this is something we've spoken about, Rachel, and we've learned in our own individual journeys is that it's not that people are not telling their stories, but it's often that others are not listening. And so, to bridge the gap between the storytelling and the listening, we need to make the stories accessible. And so, sometimes it means partnering with existing platforms such as Talanoa or platforms that do something completely different from Talanoa, but they still reach a wide Pacific audience. So I think collaboration is important and accessibility is absolutely key to ensuring that more stories are told and ones that we have never heard before, because they're out there.
0: You made a really good point there, which we should get into before we talk about Vossa, which is your new project. And that was that often it's not the problem that people aren't telling their stories. The problem is that there aren't platforms for other people to hear those stories, or if there are platforms, people just aren't accessing them. And I think this is the fundamental problem with the share the mic movement. I know that we both have a lot of objections to share the mic, but from my perspective, it's that it has this strange preposition or assumption that there is one mic, And it must be shared and therefore it will be reclaimed after it's been shared. It assumes that there's one platform for communications which people in power in dominant positions in society own and can choose to hand over to someone else for a brief period of time before reclaiming it. And I think we saw that with a lot of well-intentioned companies handing over their Instagram or their Facebook accounts to a person of color for a few days and then taking it back. I think what that movement fails to recognise is that those people are already sharing their stories, just not on the platform that's most convenient for you. And therefore, the obligation on you as a a person that needs to do the listening is to go to those platforms and and access those stories at the point where people are sharing them rather than asking them to share their story on the platform that's most convenient for you.
1: Absolutely, Rach. And I think we're in a very unique moment in time where people uh, have no choice but to actually consider their views on how they are being most inclusive about storytelling and this can be very confronting and uncomfortable for people so I've observed a lot of knee-jerk reactions such as uh, well-intended movements like share the mic so as you said it's not to say that people are trying to do this out of any um, you know shallow kind of um, way of including people but I think that it could be so much more meaningful if those who have existing platforms actually sort out other platforms that already exist rather than inviting people to come to theirs and continuing to shine the spotlight on their own existing platforms I think it's really about creating meaningful collaborations and relationships with, Uh, people from diverse communities who already exist we are already telling our stories we have been telling our stories for so long but now people are starting to not listen but they're trying to figure out how they can listen and how they can be more inclusive so this is really just the start so I'm not uh, trying to shame or blame anyone for um, quote and unquote doing the wrong thing but I would say that There are other more meaningful ways of being inclusive, and that is through relationships and through shining the spotlight on platforms that already exist rather than trying to invite people to be featured on yours. So, Ari, we are about to
0: launch a really exciting new podcast series called Vossa, I'm actually not going to say anything about it because this is, you're the host and it is fundamentally yours. So can you tell us about Vossa? Yes,
1: Vossa is a dream come true. So it is a storytelling project which is driven by experts and creatives in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea and is proudly supported by the World Bank. This platform exists for Pacific and Papua New Guinean people, by Pacific and Papua New Guinean people. And I'm so excited about this because when we look at what podcasts currently exist for um, my our community, I see a lot of them focusing on and by people in Diaspora. And so while there are podcasts that exist for Pacific specific Pacific and Papua New Guinean island countries there isn't one that focuses on the region as a whole and so I'm really excited about this and I can't wait to air our first episode in coming weeks. We're really
0: excited about it too and I think as you say what's really unique about this is that it is a program by Pacific people for Pacific people we have not taken into account the needs of an Australian audience here because that's not our target audience. This is fundamentally for the Pacific. And I think that's unique. I, I think this is something that really excited us both about this project because it it isn't
1: something that we've seen that much of, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we have seen many forums and platforms that exist for Pacific and Papua New Guinean people to tell others about us. But this is not that. This is our content for our people and it's for our learning. And look, of course, if people from outside the region would like to tune in and listen, this is a fantastic resource for listening and learning. Uh, But ideally, this is really, truly, the heart of it is for us and by us. And it's something I'm really passionate and proud of. I think
0: The last question I'll ask you then to finish this interview is it's a big undertaking to make a podcast that is for the Pacific and Papua New Guinea, especially in light of the conversation we've just had, which acknowledges that that is not a homogenous region. And whilst the region does have things in common no content is going to be applicable to every single person in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. And anyone claiming that they're producing something that is um, maybe a little misguided. So how how do you navigate the complex differences between different countries while still exploring the possibility
1: of a collective narrative for the region? As you've pointed out there, Rach, it's really important that we don't... Uh convince ourselves or tell ourselves that this is a one-size-fits-all uh, kind of project and we can it can never be done for the Pacific because there's no possible way that we can fully contain all of our stories uh, with one single approach. And so how we can address this is by ensuring that we have diverse guests. So we have guests from each country that can speak on what's actually happening at home for them. These are well-respected people not only in their countries but also abroad and so it's really important that we are careful not to label something that represents the region when we are not including people from each country so Vossa aims to be as inclusive as possible and also really we're hoping to get a local view and Unique perspectives, and you know, we're not having anyone on there that is completely representing the region as a whole. So I think it will provide for very interesting and insightful uh, listening, and and also just for me as a host, I think I will be learning so much throughout this process, and I think it's really invaluable. And honestly, um, I this is a humble start <laughs> for me. I'm not trying to. Um, I'm trying to ensure that I. Learn along the way, and I'm not positioning myself as a single voice representing or trying to hold all of our stories. This is an open platform, and it's going to be amazing. I'm really excited about it, and I'm, as I said, I'm really, really proud.
0: I'm so proud too, and I think by extension of your learning, I'm also learning, and it just makes me so happy. So, thank you so much, Ari. As you know, I love working with you, and it's been so fun getting the opportunity
1: to interview you. As Vossa was, it is a dream come true working for Goodwill Media because I love that uh, I'm not consulting on the side anymore. This is the first time in the last 10 years that I haven't uh, had to freelance to try and convince people that um, you need a cultural communications advisor or consultant this is my dedicated role here at Goodwill Media and I'm absolutely thrilled that I've reached the point in my career where I can do this kind of work which I see as hard work and also as you know, meaningful professional development for me and my contribution to my people and also to our sector. And so this is a dream come true. I love working with you. I love working in our organization. I promise this is not any kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like a I plug? Didn't ask you to say yeah, that. you didn't ask me to say this. This is not any kind of plug. This is me letting people know if you are a communications. Uh, consultant or professional from the Pacific and you're looking to work for an organization that is truly inclusive and that you can work on projects that are meaningful for you, can I just say after 10 years of sacrifice and hard work and learning and you know challenges along the way, I can confidently say that it is possible and that it exists. So please keep fighting the good fight, keep keeping on and you know, of course, connect with us because we are as Rachel said, are trying to grow our network. We already have a lot of meaningful relationships in the region, but you know we're open to more and
0: that was episode ninety six of Goodwill Hunters with Arietta Rica. I'm your host, Rachel Mason Nun. We are on the countdown to episode 100 and we look forward to sharing our upcoming episodes with you. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll speak with you next week.